Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. I'm Brevin Honda alongside Kyle Betts. Welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. As I mentioned, it is Friday, July 29th, just after 10 o'clock here on the West Coast. How are you doing, Kyle? Doing great. It's been a pretty long week, but we made it, and uh, here we are back with another episode, and we got a lot going on, especially right now in the MLB. Mm-hmm. It is the 15th. Uh, it's been 15 years since Tony Gwynn was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. That really big uh, crowd that uh, went to Cooperstown that saw him, both him and Calrip can be inducted into baseball's uh, baseball's Hall of Fame. Um, plenty of things going on this week that we're going to get into. We're going to get into the Fast Five. We're going to talk some football. We're going to talk some baseball. The trade deadline is. Just a few days away on Tuesday, we're going to get into some Padres discussion. We're going to talk about that Mackenzie Gore injury. We're going to talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. as well. And we're going to get into some trivia where I am on the block. But let's get underway with the Fast Five in college. You take it away with number one. Yeah, our first uh, kind of pointer here in the Fast Five this week is Julio Jones signing a year deal with Tampa Bay. Uh, just pretty much adding to what is a really good arsenal in terms of their skill guys um, on that Tampa Bay team. And Brady, obviously still having Mike Evans, Russell Gage, they brought in uh, this past offseason. And then Chris Godwin as well, getting resigned. But it all depends on his injury, so we'll see how that all comes into play. But honestly, I think this is a really good pickup for Tampa Bay, and um, they just keep getting stronger. Yeah, it just adds to their depth piece. Just depends on the injury to their center, uh, Ryan Jensen, who uh, had a really big knee injury. Um, so yeah. let's see the official results on that. Um, we go from one side of the East Coast to the other side in the West, where the San Francisco 49ers have officially moved on from Jimmy Garoppolo, and Trey Lance is the uh, starting quarterback uh, in the Bay Area. Yeah, I think they've seen enough from Jimmy G. And in this case, um, Trey Lance has produced at times when he was called upon last year. And um, the NFL has completely evolved now. And we're seeing, you know, guys like Trey Lance take that next step and being, you know, the next best quarterback. You know, guys who can move and uh, read RPOs and be, you know, really great at the line of scrimmage in terms of, you know, reading the defenses as well. And just being overall good athletes, that's what you need. That guy has all those tangibles, I think. And you think about the pieces that he's got thrown to him, whether it's Elijah Mitchell in the flat, you got Brandon Ayuk and D.U. Samuel, as well as uh, one of the top tight ends in the game and George Kittle as well. All right. Uh, we move on to baseball here, where the Houston Astros were split by uh, one of the worst teams in baseball record-wise in terms of the Oakland A's. This was the second-best AL team that lost three straight to the worst team in the American League is the first time the Astros have been swept this year. Yeah, I saw a post from uh, Bleacher Report betting, and the social media admin was pretty upset about that. Um, So I guess you could tell, you know, they took Astros all three days and didn't quite work out for them. And just goes to show anything can happen any given night in baseball. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, we're going to come back to baseball real quick. Quickly, but number four is yesterday. Phoenix Mercury guard Deanna Tarazi, a longtime player in the WNBA, 
became the first player in WNBA history to record a 30-point game at the age of 40 or older. She scored 30 points on the nose in 90-80 victory over the Los Angeles Sparks. Yeah, that's a really cool accomplishment. Like, you can't hate Diana Taurasi. I mean, she has accomplished everything. And so um, for her to get that accolade, you know, being at the age that she's playing makes it even more impressive. And um, she joins Dirk Nowitzki and Michael Jordan as the only players in WNBA and NBA history to be at or, or over the age of 40 and to score 30 plus points. So that just goes to show, you know, she's still doing it at a high level and the Mercury might not be, you know, as great anymore, especially with the Brittany Griner situation. But um, if they put together some sort of run, I mean, um, I think they still technically do have a chance of making the playoffs. So anything can happen, especially with, you know, the GOAT on your team. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about her, Sue Bird, everything that both of them have done is um, Taurasi is going to think about retirement um, in the off season. So uh, pretty good mark to get if this, if this is um, her final year. All right, number five that we're getting to is back to baseball where the Toronto Blue Jays yesterday announced new stadium changes for the 2023 season, which includes elevated bullpens, which would mean uh, those bullpens will be um, closer distance uh, to fans out in the outfield. Yeah, that's pretty cool, you know, giving the fans a chance to you know, watch some guys warm up. Um, I think it's pretty interesting. Didn't really hear about this until very recently. And, um, you know, the Blue Jays already do have that advantage already with the uh, vaccine mandate against some teams in the MLB. And um, I think they're just really trying to improve that fan experience overall there. Um, And I think this is a big step in doing that. It's pretty cool. I mean, I would want to go sit in the outfield among the bullpen. Mm -hmm. You think about some of the other up-close um bullpens throughout the league you think about seattle it's right there um against the fans out in uh t-mobile park you think about um let's see some of the other you got petco's right there um you know there's some good pretty cool um same designs for the way bullpens are within those plans and for fans to possibly interact you got um pretty sure that i think it's the visitors bullpen at Citizens Bank, that's on top, so it's a two-tier bullpen, um, but it's a little, it's a little bit uh, lower for the fans. But um, good for the Blue Jays. You think about what they're trying to do. Um, obviously, with players like Vlad Jr. and trying to go after a World Series. Um, so, hmm. absolutely. All right, we're going to continue talking baseball. The trade deadline is on Tuesday at 3 o'clock, as I mentioned in the intro. We had our first, quote-unquote, big domino fall off the board, and Kansas City Royals outfielder Andrew Benintendi going to the New York Yankees for three minor league starting pitchers and right-handed pitcher Chandler Chaplin, uh, Chaplin, a 2021 uh, ninth-round pick from USC, left-handed pitcher TJ Sakema. Uh, the Yankees' 19th top prospect, as well as right-handed pitcher Beckway, the Yankees' uh, 21st um, top prospect uh, within their organization. Yeah, you see them give up, you know, a lot of decent prospects within their organization for him, but obviously they're just trying to win. He's going to be a free agent after the year, so 
um, they're going to try and, you know, just get the best out of him. And I think this is a pretty good ball player to have for a team that's, you know, contending for a World Series. Mm. You think about how that outfield shakeup now adding, you know, and give Judge an opportunity to just be a DH or Stanton, depending how Aaron, uh, Yankees manager Aaron Boone wants to um, put the line together every single day. It adds that that depth and that opportunity for his power hitting sluggers. Think about other players that could be traded within the next four days. You think about maybe Luis Castillo. These are teams that may not have done that well in the first half and want to reload for 2023 and beyond. You think about Luis Castillo from the Cincinnati Bridge. You got Frankie Montas from the Oakland A's. Uh, Shohei Otani could be in the mix, as well as his teammate Noah Syndergaard, Pablo Lopez from the Miami Marlins, uh, Wilson Contreras from the Chicago Cubs, uh, Ian Happ as well, his teammate Josh Bell from the Nationals, Jose Quintana, um, as well as Daniel Bard, and well as the big name Juan Soto. Who do you think, Kyle, maybe from that list or maybe some others that could be uh, moving, moving to another team come within the next four days? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Wilson Contreras is gone. I think yesterday, you know, he had a big ovation from the crowd at Wrigley, uh, what could have been his last home game. Um, so I think, you know, that kind of reception and how emotional he was, I think he was pretty upset, accepting of, you know, that he is going to end up being moved. Um, in terms of other players on this list, wouldn't be surprised if you see a guy like Josh Bell as well. I mean, struggling Nationals team, he could be a part of a one sort of deal potentially as well. Um, depending on uh, what they would get in return. But um, I know he had a pretty hot start to this year, especially the first two months of the year. So um, he's always been pretty productive and he can add to a lineup or even a DH spot as well. Um, not sure about Shohei. Uh, we've seen him make, you know, a few comments about, you know, his future so far. Um, same with Noah Syndergaard, but still, I, I don't know if anything's going to happen. I don't think anyone knows what Artie Moreno is, is going to want Perry Minazian to do at the end of the day. Um, but also one more name I could also throw in there is uh, Luis Castillo. He, he's always been, you know, you know, a, a potential rumor. Um, it seems all throughout the first half of the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, plenty of names that could be mentioned. Uh, that could hear their name be mm -hmm. moved to a contending beast. Think about, you know, for a name like Jose Quintana, who uh, in 2016 was part of that Cubs team that won that World Series. Um, I see Noah Syndergaard, part of that 2015 Mets team. Um, you know, there's some good... Obviously, Wilson Contreras as well, part of that 2016 Cubs team. Um, I think Ian Happ was there too. I can't remember if he was. He, he probably was. Oh, he was. I, yeah. I know if he was like a rookie, but it was a rookie. But, yeah, it would be interesting to see this deadline. And we think about the probably the biggest name on top of Luis Castillo, on top of the starting pitching, it's got to be Juan Soto. And we think about the, um, the vibe that he brings to a baseball field, obviously winning the home run derby just a few weeks ago. Um, and you think about the type of package that it would take to acquire a player like Juan Soto who – you mentioned in the past been compared to a lot of great legends uh, 
of the past in this game, whether it's Ted Williams, whether it's Hank Aaron, whether it's uh, Mickey Mantle, you know, it'd be it'd be uh, surprising to see what uh, teams will want for one Soto. Uh, obviously, it don't it won't just be one top prospect; it'll probably be three or four. Yeah, I think Juan Soto is. I don't know. He, he seems to have the potential to be, you know, a once in a generation player, you know, like Mike Trout. So obviously to get a guy like that, especially at his age, only being 23 years old, I believe. I mean, that, that would be a definitely a, a bright future for him and the franchise he ends up with, especially if it is, you know, one of the teams we speculate in the Padres, Mariners, Cardinals, Dodgers. I mean, um, any decent market with, you know, a, a competitive team that he can add to, I mean, it's just going to add to, you know, both parties there. So um, really looking forward to see what happens if anything happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you mentioned, that trade deadline is on Tuesday at three o'clock. So we're about four days and a little bit less than four hours away, uh, a little bit more than four hours away from the trade deadline. We mentioned Juan Soto to the Padres. You think about what that might, um, what that pod, that scenario might look like. You think about probably giving up Mackenzie Gore, could be C.J. Abrams, um, for sure James Wood probably in that mix, Robert Haspel. So a lot of p- top pieces within that uh, farm system. But we mentioned Mackenzie Gore, and uh, on Monday when the Padres were playing in Detroit, he was – uh, he left the game after pitching an inning and a third due to left elbow soreness, and you saw that um, the last pitch that he threw, he was um, moving his hand around trying to get that feeling. So hopefully that's not a sign for a long-term injury, but um, Gore was placed on the 15-day IL later that night, um, and the Padres brought up did also lament. Yeah, that's definitely – you know, a scary injury there, especially when it involves an elbow. But luckily, you know, hopefully it only 15 days after all. And um, you're able to see him come back and, and make it back strong. If he's not, obviously, a part of a trade, though. Um, hmm. I think there's a lot to be left uh, seen with that, if anything happens there, too. Um, especially with Juan Soto being, you know, part of that potential um, return. Hmm. Yeah, to be... That was, that was the first thing I thought about, too, with Gore going down was um, how that might affect a, a Juan Soto trade. Um, but the Padres don't know more about the injury this weekend. Um, they're playing uh, their form, one of their former managers, Jace Tingler, and the Minnesota Twins this weekend. Um, so it would be interesting to see uh, what the results say about Mackenzie Gore um, and how long he'll be shut down for um, before he can start throwing again. Um, we did see Fernando Tetsis Jr. take BP for the first time. On Monday in Detroit, he hit, I think he started out going the other way, and then he hit like six straight homers out to left field. And so it's a good sight to see um, Fernando continuing to make his way back, and you could see a rehab segment pretty soon. Yeah, I think that's what we're all looking forward to, um, seeing it back on the field. Um, and hopefully we do see that soon enough. Um, Fernando being one of the most electrifying players in the league, um, only going to make that team better too. So 
Um, really looking forward to seeing him back. Um, and we got a few guys, you know, besides him, obviously he's looking forward to making that rehab assignment, but we've already seen, you know, a few guys make that uh, rehab uh, return this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think about players on rehab assignment for the Padres, you think about Will Myers, Matt Bading, Robert Suarez, three, uh, two outfielders and relief pitchers that could help out this ball club. Will Myers is hit back-to-back, uh, has hit homers in back-to-back days. Matt Beatty has continued to hit the ball in AAA, and Robert Suarez just started his rehab earlier this week. But when you think about Fernando, imagine him, Kyle, imagine Fernando playing with a player like Juan Soto for at least two years. Yeah, that would be so cool, honestly, to see something like that happen. Um, I really hope the Padres actually do end up making that happen um, because having them in the same lineup, maybe even, you know, back back in the order, um, that would just be even more fun to watch. Um, and I don't know how much more fun it is to watch Fernando on the team, but you add Juan Soto to the mix, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. You think about – well, no, it would be too quick of a timeline, but imagine if uh, the day Juan Soto gets traded over possibly on Tuesday, it will be the same day Fernando – makes his season debut, which that's not going to happen because it, yeah, Fernando's not coming back in four days. Yeah. Well, hopefully sooner than later. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know. What do you, what do you think? Like two weeks? Yeah. I'd say probably a few weeks. Cause he'll have to, um, I think he already did extended spring training, but he'll probably yep. go to double a, maybe take a couple of games in triple a and he should be good to go. Yeah. Um, just get his, get it all in, under his feet in time to get ready for that playoff push. And that's all Padres want to do, being at uh, 10 games over 500 right now, playing a first-place Twins team and holding that second wildcard spot down uh, right now. All right. We think about injuries to this. Uh, we think about injuries and rehab assignments. We got some news from the Angels, but injury – and it involves their, I'm pretty sure I can say this correctly, their longest tenured player, but obviously the yeah. player with the biggest contract on their team, and that's Mike Trout, who has this rare back injury. And there were mixed um, reports of the severity. Yeah, uh, I think... People said, you know, it could be career-threatening and um, that would affect him for the rest of his career. He would have to deal with it every season. And so I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but uh, he did come out and say that he is going to return and play this season. Uh, I honestly can't say that I can necessarily believe that as well because, like we all saw last year. Um, with the calf. Yeah, with the calf. That, that was one thing. And now – Seems like a back's a lot more serious than a cap. So um, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But um, it's crazy. Didn't think uh, things could get worse in Halo land. And, and here we are. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping Mike Trez's injury isn't the point where it's career ending, where it doesn't have to be the, an announcement as erupt as what we saw from Pinch Fielder a few years ago with his neck. So I'm hoping it doesn't get to that point because it was pretty unfortunate to see, um, especially for how good Prince Fielder was. Think about the days that he had in Milwaukee to 
playing in Texas with Adrian Beltre and Elvis Andrews. Uh, hopefully it doesn't turn that, that way for Mike Trout, especially for the things that he's done during his career. Yeah, and I think especially, too, you know, this news coming just after uh, what we talked about just a couple of weeks ago with him uh, being captain for the World Baseball Classic team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, definitely want to see him, you know, partake in that because mm-hmm. he, he's deserved that. He's earned it. And um, he's just better for the game. I mean, he's starting to get up there in age now a little bit. But um, I, I think it's just having him on that team, having him on the Angels yeah. is so important. Um, and just for baseball itself, uh, they need him out there. So I don't know. The Angels medical team has not had its moments in recent years, but yeah, hopefully they figure this mm-hmm. out. Yeah, it's. I think it's all about not just having Mike Trout as ambassador to represent this game, but also on the field, playing every single day. And yeah, not just Angel fans, but people around the game have kind of missed that uh, for a good part of the last couple of seasons. Yeah, it's definitely been tough. Um, but a guy who did come back yesterday from injury for uh, the Angels. David Fletcher uh, returning to the lineup. He at ninth went one for three. So nice to see him get on base in his return. Um, hopefully, just adds a little bit more of a presence in the clubhouse and uh, some better uh, defensive prowess, I guess you could say, um, out on the diamond as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fletcher did start taking base, then uh, moved over to shortstop. When Phil got, uh, see when Phil Gosling came into the game, uh, when he pinched it for <laughs> Andrew Velasquez, uh, he played third base. Luis Renifo moved from third to short, uh, third to second, and then Fletcher moved from second to short. But we mentioned Luis. Uh, we think about Luis Renifo. Kyle, talk about the month that he's had. Yeah, he's been doing great. I think he's been hitting near. Uh, pretty much uh, 300 to this point. So, I mean, his credit, he's never really had a hot stretch of that caliber. I think he has had a similar one before, but I mean, just, he's been doing a lot better this month. When you think about, you know, where he was, even two weeks ago, he was hitting 253. He's bumped that average up 20 points. So um, right now hitting 272, pretty much um, 18 RBIs on the season and 228 at bat. So He's getting better, and his power is getting better as well, too. So I think that's pretty important. And um, that's all you want to see out of a guy like him because um, so far he is having his best year as an angel, and hopefully that continues. What does it mean? You mentioned those 20 points, but what does it mean that he's worked his way up to being a premier spot in the lineup at that number three position? Yeah, he's been hitting like three in cleanup. And, you know, a month ago he was not doing well. He was hitting like – 183 I, I don't know something like that and it was just not going well but I think this month he's completely turned it around um and I think a guy for him for Phil Nevin to have trust in a guy in order to do that I mean I'll give that to him you know to his credit um Luis Franguico been able to you know really produce and um I think it's important too especially with a team who obviously can't score exhibit a yesterday scored zero runs were shut out yet again um that, you know, you have one guy who can hit in the lineup, you know, who's not necessarily expected to do that um, on a day in and day out basis, but he has. And so I think that's been really important. And hopefully you see a little bit the same out of David Fletcher and his return to the lineup too. 
not necessarily power wise, but just getting on base because we all know we can do that um, at a high level. So, I mean, just getting any momentum, I think, for this team is important right now. Kyle, can I bring up one play that I saw from the Angels over the past week? Uh, yeah, which one? There's been a lot it of bad was. ones. I'll tell you that. Uh huh. Well, this one, it started out bad and it could have been a lot better. Um, it's when the Angels were playing an interleague game in Atlanta. Uh, fly ball in a pretty uh, highly congested spot uh, just outside of right field um, where the second baseman goes out. Um, and uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was Joe Adele in right field. And the ball barely missed his glove. It hit off, I think it was a shoulder. Yeah. And Andrew Velasquez was right there. And the, he, he got the ball and almost turned a double play on it, too, because there's a runner at second base. Well, firstly, credit to Andrew Velasquez for being so skilled, you know, defensively. Um, but, you know, at the on the other hand, there's uh, Joe Adele, who I think we've seen that more than once this year, uh, safe to say, you know, and including his whole career as well. Um, I don't know. It's just – it's so sad to, you know, see him on a daily basis not be able to catch a fly ball you know, a prospect of his caliber. I'm just like, what happened? Like, I don't know if it's nerves, if it's, you know, depth perception, like what it is, but it's like sad at this point, man. And like, how does that even happen? Like, it's, it's a repeated occurrence. You see it like twice a week, at least. Yeah. I think the outfield coach has to be hitting some fly balls to him or do it off the pitching machine because, or even just, just taking fly balls during BP. Yeah. And just seeing it off the bat, because that might, that's one thing that helped me when I was playing, especially in high school, playing just with it, with the first couple of groups, just take, just seeing those five balls, you know, help him go back on the ball, help him come up on a ball. Yeah. Obviously, he's not going to, his coaches aren't going to let him dive, but, you know, just, I think, I think it's, just trying to get back to the fundamentals and getting more reps of fly balls. I think yeah. it is. And and that's the issue we've seen with the Angels all year long is, you know, their, their coaching staff. I, I think that's really been the core basis of the problem. I don't know how the Angels pitching coaches, you know, he still has a job, to be quite frank, because we've just seen so many instances this year of guys tipping pitches and um, poor performances and just bad situational baseball. Um, and so I think when you have all that going on, um, a change needs to be made, especially when Reed Detmers, he gets sent down, you know, to AAA and, you know, he has a lot of the minor league pitching coaches, you know, help him with that. And mm -hmm. so when you see that, you're like, should these guys be promoted to, you know, coach the angels at, on, on the big yeah. league level? Like, seriously, we, we don't see any improvement out of our pitching staff and, uh, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Think about it'd be interesting to see what the Angels do this offseason. Probably new manager, which would mean a new, most likely mean a new coaching staff as well. Um, and yeah, then yeah. who knows what they do with Otani being on 2023, being the last year of his contract. So interesting to see what these Angels do, um, not just to finish off the year, but see what they do in the offseason. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of NBA 
Uh, some news that broke earlier today. We're also going to talk about some NFL. Justin Jefferson wanting to break a record that's wanting to hit a mark that's never been done during an NFL season. We're going to also get into some contracts as well as uh, talk about how all 30 teams have begun training camp ahead of the Hall of Fame game next week, Thursday. So that's all coming up when we come back here on it down the line. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the second half of this episode of Down the Line. I'm Kyle Beth, joined by Brevin Honda. This is episode 59 of Down the Line. It's July 29th. Um, we're recording this right now at right around 1045 in the morning, and we talked some baseball, um, possible trades that could happen, including Juan Soto, gone to some Padres and Angels, um, also broke down the most notable news points of the week, but now we're going to talk some basketball and get into some NBA news. We have Eric Paschal this morning uh, signing a deal with the T-Wolves, um, and this is a pretty good deal for a guy who can add a lot of depth to a team. Yeah, you think about what the Timberwolves have done this offseason, adding Rudy Gobert, too, um, and then you just add some depth to um, this Timberwolves offense with Carl Anthony Towns. You think about Eric Pascal and his career. You think about playing with uh, playing with Steph Curry, learning from Clay Thompson and Draymond Green as well. So plenty of experience here to being in um, being a former organization that had a lot of culture, um, despite a couple of, despite being in during the time of some down years. But Eric Pascal going to be a lot to that T Wolves team looking to do a lot better in 2023 than just getting past the, was it the first round or the playing game? Whenever, yeah. Whenever they were celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, another move was uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez going to the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. He's another former uh, Timberwolf player. Um, and he was on, I believe three teams last year. The Celtics, the Spurs, and the Jazz. So he's bounced around quite a lot. Um, if you don't remember, he was a former first-round pick going 15th overall back in 2016, uh, selected by the Denver Nuggets as well. So um, he's kind of shifted around a lot throughout his career so far, being on uh, you know the amount of teams that he has. And this is a sixth one, joining Toronto. And hopefully he's able to – you know, stay there, add some depth to them because, you know, he's a pretty solid player. Um, so hopefully, you know, 
uh, I'm pretty sure that he he's tired of bouncing around as much as he has too. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one other big move remaining in the Eastern Conference involves uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. They signed James Harden to a two-year, $68.6 million um, extension, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, no, it's New Deal. Oh, yeah. New Deal, not an extension. Okay. Uh, with uh, James Harden, that was announced on Wednesday, and it includes a player option for the 2023-24 season. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it's like a whole new restructured deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he's taken a pay cut. I don't know how much it is. I think maybe like 20 million or something like that. But yeah, I think this is pretty good for both parties here. You see uh, Harden's numbers kind of drop off last season. Um, so he could be on a potential decline. Um, you see him, you know, being more of a facilitator nowadays anyways with that team, you know, because he's all bought in you know, to win a championship. He's all, you know, trying to get to that point um, where he can say that, you know, about his career. So um, the experiment with the Nets didn't work out. And now it seems like, you know, he's fully invested in being there in Philly. And I think Daryl Morey, um, he's definitely happy to have him there too. Mm -hmm. I think about too with um, Joel Embiid there too. And his phrase that he mentioned four years ago of trusting the process well. This is your time to put that to use that process and actually apply that process. So we'll see what the 76ers do. We think about how how congested those Eastern Conference seedings were the final five, just even six weeks into the year since um, since the All Star break. We think about Miami. We think about Boston. We think about yeah. Um, uh, I think Atlanta was in that mix as well. Uh, Chicago you know, five, six teams just trying to remain afloat so they don't have to play in the playing tournament. That's how yeah. congested it was um, in those Easter Conference standings. So um, be another should be another dogfight um, in that Eastern Conference trying to get um, in a good seed in the next nine months. All right. We're going to move on from the NBA to the NFL. All 32 teams have begun training camp. Some teams have already began uh, practice with pads. That includes the Las Vegas Raiders as they get set to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars next week, Thursday, in the Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio. Um, think about the legacy of the loss of the Raiders organization, and they will get to be on display um for the first NFL preseason game of the year next week yeah honestly you love to see that especially for you know a team like the Raiders who you know have been so storied and I think a big part of this um uh Hall of Fame game is John Madden you know especially with his passing uh the, the legacy that he left um I think that's a big reason why they're in this game too and he will definitely be honored you know at this game along with a lot of the Raider greats and uh, we haven't seen a lot of Raider Hall fans, famers in recent years. I mean, obviously, Charles Woodson's one of them. But um, at the same time, you know, Devontae Adams is up, coming up in here and calling Derek Carr, you know, future Hall of Famer mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. <laughs> Until you think about who's on the 2022 Hall of Fame class, you got two Raiders there in Cliff Branch and Richard Seymour. So pretty um, nostalgic to see the Raiders there with, to uh, Raiders Hall of Famers. 
definitely. All right, we're going to get to some current news from throughout the NFL. Earlier this week, Justin Jefferson from the Minnesota Vikings said he wants to break 2,000 receiving yards this season. Yeah, uh, we'll see if that happens. I think he is a player with potential to do that, but um, we'll see if it actually comes, you know, into fruition. We know Kirk Cousins has a pretty big arm, so he's got to, you know, pass it to him a little more than uh, he has in the past if he wants to get to that point. Yeah, I think the interesting thing will be how I, it, the interesting will be the target share Justin Jefferson gets compared to Adam Thielen, as well as possibly Dalvin Cook and Irv Smith uh, within that offense. No, it's a new new offense as well with new head coach coming in. So interesting to see um, how that target share plays out. All right. Uh, we move out west for a couple of news uh, in the NFC West. The uh, We talked about Kyler Murray's contract last week. Uh, his new contract extension to remain in Arizona with the Cardinals. But news came out this week that they are removing the independent steady clause from Murray's new contract extension because of animosity. Um, I think it was on Twitter or something like that. Yeah, basically... A lot of people were making fun of that uh, independent study clause, like making memes and stuff and saying, you know, Kyler's too busy focused playing uh, Call of Duty and streaming on Twitch rather than, you know, watching his film or whatever. So, um, yeah, I don't don't know why that was there in the first place, but uh, it's pretty interesting to see their public reaction. And especially now the Cardinals response to that, um, them eliminating that, but um, they're still obviously going to hold them accountable. Um, and obviously you see Kyler Murray coming out and say, I don't know why people are, you know, mocking me for this because, you know, look at what I've done in the past, um, with all of my teams. So yeah, we'll see if this, you know, further affects the Cardinals because obviously, um, there was a little bit more of that animosity, like you mentioned, um, between the two sides, especially when they were trying to resolve, um, you know, the contract situation and break down talks. And that was what going on, I think like two and three months ago and Kyler deleted all of his Cardinals posts from Instagram or whatever. And, you know, just pettiness there. And so um, let's see if this further, you know, severs that relationship, if it does at all. Mm -hmm. Remember this Cardinals team started 7-0 last year with Cliff Kingsbury as their head coach. And then they just sort of fell off after that. I think they won like 10 games and did they make the playoffs last year? I can't remember uh, I think they did, but they lost first round. Wait, did they? Yeah, they lost in the first round. Okay, that's right. Yeah. They went like three and seven the rest of the way or something. Yeah, that was, that was bad. <laughs> uh, uh, also in the NFC West, DK Metcalf and the Seattle Seahawks signed a, officially signed a three-year $72 million extension uh, earlier today. That includes $58 million, uh, in guaranteed money. Yeah, you see uh, Debo uh, Samuel is punching the air right now because he won't get a deal uh, himself. But, yeah, DK Metcalf, pretty deserving of this deal, and uh, I think that's really important for him to stay there. And um, we're going to see Drew Locke throwing dimes to him this year. Yeah. I think, it too, this move also goes to show you the, the relationship and the desire Pete Carroll has – for DK Metcalf, 
no matter who that quarterback is, whether it's Russell Wilson or it's Drew Locke. Yeah. That's funny. That's mm-hmm. funny to put them in the same sentence. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it comes down to, you know, a hypothetical. Would you rather sign DK to that deal or Debo Samuel? Like, I don't know. I think, you know, both have their own, you know, different skill sets and different traits. I don't know if you can necessarily, like, pick. I think it's just – what need kind of fits your offense. I think that's ultimately mm-hmm. what it comes down to between those two players. So hopefully we do see uh, Debo get signed to, you know, a pretty large deal for himself. Imagine if DK Madcap uh, had a hybrid type role like Debo had, Debo had last year where he could run the ball on top of catching passes. Yeah, that'd be insane. He would just truck everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've seen the speed – from DK Metcalf and fast. Obviously, he's completed in some 100-meter dashes, I think it was, a couple of times. But yeah. we see uh, DK Metcalf chase down a Cardinals defender on an interception um, from one side of the field to the other, caught yeah. up with him. Uh, we've seen that as well. So I think the interesting is that uh, r- rushing, rushing the ball, the aspect of rushing the ball uh, between these two. Yeah. As well as returning punts and kicks on special teams. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I think it also comes down to how durable he is, too. Like, mm-hmm. how long can he sustain this? Um, if he if he's able to, um, I wonder if he's going to want to just go back to, you know, playing only wide receiver at one point. Because um, we've kind of heard him say that before as well, so. I don't know how that would work if he would continue to want to do, you know, play anywhere on the field. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he could be deployed as a weapon. I don't know. We'll see. About his fantasy value, like he did last year. Yeah, that's for sure. Kyle, thoughts about uh, the Broncos? Uh, We mentioned Russell Wilson. Thoughts about the Broncos starting a training camp? Yeah, doing well so far. I think we've seen a lot from Pat Sertan. I think he's going to take that next step this year. Um, and being one of the better corners in this league. So um, we'll see if that actually happens. Um, but I, I think they're off to a pretty good start. The team looks strong so far. Uh, from what I've seen, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon are um, still trying to each fight for playing time. So that's going to be something to watch too. Um, I think Justin Simmons, his leadership has gone to the next level as well. That's kind of been what I've heard so far. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, the step that these Raiders or the Raiders, the Broncos receivers, and the jump they could take having a quarterback like Russell Wilson? Yeah, I think it just comes down to you know where their hands are at. We've seen Jerry Judy drop a lot of passes uh, these past couple seasons, so um, I think if he figures that out, he'll get a lot better. Uh, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, they've always seemed to be pretty consistent. So now we'll see how they actually do with. Uh, pretty good quarterback, you know, at their defense and see if they're able to, you know, catch some passes that are put in the right, in the right positions in the right situations where they can go up and make a play. Mm-hmm. The Denver Broncos start off the preseason. Uh, the first game is August 13th at home against the Dallas Cowboys. It's six o'clock game. That is pretty sure Saturday evening game. Yeah. Something like uh, that. In Denver before. And then they, Following week, they go to Buffalo, take on the Bills, um, and then they conclude their preseason taking on a home matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, pretty solid uh, preseason slate right there. 
Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to move on to trivia. I am on the chopping block, and I will hand it off to Kyle. Yeah, so I was thinking at first we can go over, you know, maybe the uh, teams, the all-time MLB teams that have had, you know, the best seasons, you know, leading up to the All-Star break. And then, I mean, obviously those teams will go on to, you know, have among the best seasons of all time. But I thought that was a little too difficult. So I'm going to test you instead on the Padres and their best seasons in franchise history in terms of winning percentage. Oh, winning percentage. Okay. Yeah. So um, this starts with a team who had – Actually, no, we're not we're not even gonna do winning percentage. We're just gonna do actually, yes, we should. We probably should. We probably should. Oh, we need winning percentage. Yeah, I think we should do that. Okay. Okay. So would you like to give your first guess? Yeah. Uh this is a team that went to the World Series. Uh a team that we've talked about uh, numerous times on our podcast. Um I'm gonna go with the nineteen ninety eight Padres, Tony Gwynn, Greg Vaughn. Tim Caminetti, as well as their high-powered one-year free agent starting pitcher, Kevin Brown. So this is where winning percentage, where I thought I could trip you up. This is a regular – we're doing the regular season. Let me just mm-hmm. start that, right? We're doing regular season winning percentage. It's actually not that season. Okay. You are off by I'll, – I'll give you a hint. You're off by – you know, Are they third? You're off by 10 is percentage it, points. Are they second or third? Second. Maybe second. Okay. Well, then that was my first pick. Just think about what that season brought. Also brought uh, uh, the measure of the passing of measure C uh, yeah. by Larry Lucchino, who we mentioned uh, earlier in the month, uh, inducted into the Padre Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm going to go with next. I'm going to go with this team that didn't even play a full 162 games. I'm going to go with the 2020 Padres. We went 37 and 23 during the 60 game shortened season because of the pandemic. There you go. Absolutely. They had a 617 winning percentage in the regular season that year. Um, some would say it was a Mickey Mouse season, but, you know, we'll, we'll take it for what it is a 37 and 23 record where um, they won the wild card against the Cardinals and then lost in the NLDS against the Dodgers. Um, and then that season, the Padres finished second in the NLS as well. So there are your first two spots, 2020 and 1998. Because of others, let's see. How about that 2010 team? Andy 2010 wins. is third on that list. You are yeah. absolutely right. They had a 555 win percentage, finishing with 90 wins, 72 losses, Um and that was when uh, the Padres finished second in the West that year as well. And also when Bud Black won manager of the year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Padres came. Padres had to sweep the Giants that year to win the division. Mm-hmm. Um, and they won the first two games of the series, but they lost the final game. But they didn't have um, a record good enough to make the wild card. Yeah. Um, all right, let's see. That's oh, number three. Huh? Let me just think. Well, the other World Series uh, team at 1984. 
Actually, actually, no. <laughs> I was completely wrong. I messed up these numbers. So that that number is actually number three right there. Eight, number three mm-hmm. on that list. So yes, you're absolutely right. Um, that season was when the Padres won 92 games and they lost 70. Um, obviously winning that NOS. Um, and then obviously they ended up beating the Cubs in the NLCS uh, three game to two, but uh, fell to the Tigers in the World Series. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that was number three. And I, I correct myself here. Um, 2010 is actually number five on this list. That's actually number five. Oh, there's a team between. Okay. Um, so you're looking see. for one more here. This is probably a, this is a team that didn't make the postseason, but they still did pretty well. I'm gonna go with the 1980, 1987 team. 1987. Um, that is a pretty good guess. They had a 4-1 uh, winning percentage last that year. That was Benito oh. Santiago. You might be thinking of 1989, actually. Yeah, I'm thinking 89. I think 89. Yeah, it was 89. That's when they had mm-hmm. 89 wins that mm-hmm. year. Um, yeah, Mark, Mark Davis, Davis won the Cy Young. Young. Mm-hmm. Yes, there you go. And he did that as a closer, um, oh. knocking down 44 saves. Oh, my gosh. That's mm-hmm. Think about some of the great Padre closers. None of them have won a Cy Young like Mark Davis. Yeah. Not Goose Gossage, not Trevor Hoffman, not Heath Bell. Well, Trevor Hoffman did have a case in 98 with 53 saves. Uh, Fernando Rodney, Houston Street. (laughs) Uh, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that that 1984 division, Kyle, had the Braves, the Astros, and the Reds on top of the Giants and the Dodgers. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yep. (laughs) All right, All right. How many more do you? So you you just need one. That one more. It's number four on this list. I can give you a hint if you want. Yeah. What what decade was it in? It's in the nineties as well. Nineties. Oh, okay. Uh, team I haven't said yet. They won the division that year. I'm gonna go with the '96 team that had to sweep the Dodgers to win the division. Yes, that is exactly right. Um. That was 96 when uh, the Padres won 91 games. They lost 71, um, 562 winning percentage that year. So that's number four on this list. Um, that's when, yep, you, you called it. They lost to the Cardinals and NLDS. Mm-hmm. That year, Bruce Bochy won manager of the year, and yeah. Ken Caminiti won the MVP award. And it was Tony's brother, Chris, that helped the Padres win that Uh Final game on that Sunday in Dodger Stadium. Uh, I think it was a base hit to left. I think it was a base yeah. hit to left field. Um, the, the Padres uh, get the go-ahead runs to win that game. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So that's the list. Uh, uh-huh. 2020, uh, 1998. Then you have um, 1984, followed by... Um, what we just said, which was 1996, and then 2010. That's your uh, list of seasons and best seasons in Padres history uh, based on winning percentage. Previn, you did pretty good. Mm-hmm. I would take that all day. 
I would, yeah, I would. be sitting there all day if I was the Angels. <laughs> <laughs> well, we think about our 60th episode coming next week. Maybe that, that might be the uh, topic, How? Yeah, there you go. Maybe. Got to study up early. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> that might be. Think about the Angels having their 60th anniversary last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, right now, according to Fangraphs, the Padres are projected to win 89 games. There you go. That would be what top? That'd be top five. Yeah. Yeah. 89 and 73 for a 549 record. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. And they would make the wild card, but they would still be that second wild card team. Actually, uh, 549, that would just be, I think oh, that would just be just yeah, four. Sorry. Yeah, they would need, mm-hmm. they would need like one or two more wins, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which That's they could point. absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Those are all projections according to Fangraphs. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for us here on Down the Line. We thank you for tuning into our episode this week, talking some Padre history. Um, on the 15-year anniversary of Tony Gwynn being inducted into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, um, one of the biggest crowds on hand for an, an induction ceremony that year. Um, it's a, Everyone that's went to that um, went to that specific ceremony remembers how big the crowd was mm-hmm. um, that year. Yeah. Uh, we also talked about some uh, current Padre news from Kenzie Gore, Fernando Tatis Jr. talked about the Angels, Mike Trout's back injury and how severe that is, as well as the return of David Fletcher into the lineup. Next week, we're going to talk more football as we get uh, a lot more teams get into padded practice, as well oh, yeah. as the uh, t- maybe talk about the Hall of Fame game too next week um, yes. between the Raiders and the Jaguars. Um, so what else could we get? And maybe it's more fantasy football as we get closer to oh, yeah. the NFL Absolutely. regular season beginning as well. Um, as And there'll be some soccer coming up too. You got the World Cup coming up. Yeah, uh, we got coming up. Start. We got Premier League starting yep. uh, within mm-hmm. the next few weeks. I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be mm-hmm. a really good year for soccer. It's going to be weird with the World Cup in between all yeah. of that, but I guess we'll just have to navigate through it. Mm-hmm. So that'd be it for Down the Line. For Kyle Betts, I'm Brevin Hondo. We thank you for listening to this week's episode here on Down the Line.